Okay, here we go. This is uh, <clears throat> the third talk in this series. I thought, and I told you before, some of you, most of you have been here. How many of you have been here? At, this is your first time here at Gold Lake. Let me see your hands. It's your first time here. Okay. That's pretty good. How many of you have been here at least five times? How many have been here a lot of times? Okay, good. Okay, a lot of you have. And this is just a great place. And I'm so glad I got the privilege to come a couple of years ago and that I got to come back this year and bring my family. And here's what my family is already telling me, Daniel. Can we go back next year? Uh, let's just get this week over. Then we'll work about that. We'll talk about that later. Let's finish this week. But I've seen just a wonderful response of our cousins. You know, sometimes cousins that are close in age, you know, kind of, eh, they're just caring for each other. I was watching them eat the meal tonight, the box lunch. That box lunch is pretty good. I tell you what, I looked at that and I said, well, I might just eat this and you to the banquet. You know, I mean, that looked pretty good to me, you know, that pizza and the chicken strips and stuff. But it was a nice, and they were just sharing stuff and talking about their day with each other. I think, and they are really being, pretending they're nice to each other here at this place. And so I think God's already working in, in, in their hearts and lives through the counselors. And so it's just a, already a good deal for us. And so we'll see about that for next year. But for right now, my kids are loving it here. That's good. All right, here we go. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about this, that God knows your status as a steward. I said we are stewards. You're either a good one or not so hot a one, but it's, we are. And so you saw so many parables in the Bible. You talk about the talents and the different guy who's paying the different wages and stuff like that. There's so many parables in the Bible about stewards and stewardship. And so as I begin to read and study these, I started thinking, too, about some of the history. So tonight, I'm going to go a little in-depth about some history that was going on in that particular time where those people lived and show you a little bit of what that has to do with us. So I hope it's helpful to you. It's a little bit deeper than probably just a normal, more fun, light type of a talk. So let's get going on it and see what you think. There was a professor at Georgetown University. His name was Francis Ambaricio. That's a cool name. That's a, that's a great name. I love it. Ambaricio. And he said this, he said, there are two ways to think about having a meaningful life. One is the way of a hero. The other is the way of a saint. So I started thinking about that comment and thinking about that. And so I started look, thinking about those two types of people that I've been associated with in, in my life and some heroes I've known and some people I thought were saints. And as a kid, I really loved the concept of heroes. I mean, I was into the age of comic books when they were, this is going to be hard for you to believe, some of you here, they were 10 cents, and you could buy comic books. And so when it came to the heroes, I liked all these guys. I had all of them. I had the Green Lantern. I had Superman. I had Batman. I had the Flash. I had these guys. I'd read these comic books. I'd put them in this case, and I, I could save them and protect them and keep them great for me, and then one day I remember coming home from college, and I asked my mom, where are those comic books? And, oh, I threw those away when you went to school. <laughs> oh, mom, <laughs> what have you done? She threw them all away. Didn't have them anymore. But boy, did I love them when I was a kid, and I loved the heroes, all of them. And as we look at Jewish culture in the times of Jesus, it was strongly influenced by heroes. And who were these heroes? It was like this. In Greece, who of course ruled in Israel for a period of time before the Romans took over, Hellenism ruled, and they had the gods on Mount Olympus, and that was famous in all of Hellenism. 
They valued and honored the best athletes. And so they created something to, to venerate these guys, and it was called the Olympic Games. That's exactly right. And we're about to have them again, and they have them, and I love watching them. And I watch stuff I've never even seen before in different Olympic Games and watch these guys do these amazing things. But they valued and honored the best of them. They valued the smartest of them. They valued the most wealthy of them. And that's what they did, the most beautiful people. These were the heroes. It was a culture obsessed with status. If you were the best at something, people venerated you and looked up to you. If you weren't the best, the most good-looking, the wealthiest, eh, they didn't pay you much attention whatsoever. And that was the world in which they lived in. And it's kind of true in our culture today. We're a culture obsessed with Steward, we're not, not obsessed with stewardship. We're, we're, we're a culture obsessed with status. You go to the newsstands and you see all the magazines and all the beautiful picture of the people who've been airbrushed to look better than they actually are. And, and you see all these beautiful people and strong people and all these great athletes and stuff. And you say, wow, I, I can never be like that. I can't, I can't live like that. But this is not much of a culture that's obsessed with stewardship. It's success with status. I fly a good bit when I travel with Walk Through the Bible and have gone various places, been in a lot of different airports. But this is funny. When I went into Memphis one time for a Walk Through the Bible event, I was flying coach, which I always fly. And of course, there's a section called first class and there's a section called coach. So if you sit in the first class, you have a much higher status than if you sit in coach. But this is what was humorous to me. This is the actual picture I took. And here's what it looked like. On the left was where you go in if you're in coach. And they threw down a little piece of red carpet about four feet long for you to walk on if you were in first class. And so I'm sitting there with my you know, coach ticket ready to get on the plane. And they, we're calling, first of all, our first class passengers, all first class. And, you're, and you only, first class only, use the area to the right. And so these people step up there and they walk on that red carpet. Imagine they felt so And then all we did is go right beside it on the other carpet. <laughs> it wasn't red. We got on the same plane, landed at the same time at the same airport. But I hope they felt a little special at that one moment of just standing on that red carpet. When they get on the plane, of course, in first class, they're offered wine and a variety of a basket of all kinds of different things and special bars and chocolates and stuff like that. And of course, in the back, we get a Diet Coke and a bag of pretzels if you're lucky. But we all end up at the same place. Now, when Jesus was born, at that particular time, Greece had now been conquered by Rome. So now Rome was the dominating force in Israel. And Rome was also involved with a lot of status. They were really into this kind of a thing. And so here's what the stats say as you read history books about Rome, that only 2% were the elite, and the rest were called the rabble, the ones that had no status, the ones that we don't care anything about. But for those 2%, they lived a pretty good life. They had a pretty high life in that particular time and culture, but there was a massive difference between the two. Now, if you are a superior You've got to have people that are inferior than you, so you will feel what it's like to be superior over them. 
And that's what was going on in this particular time. It was a pecking order in Rome. I'll show you what the pecking order looked like on a little chart. It looks like this. The 2% were these guys. At the top of the food chain was Caesar. He was it. He was considered to be a god to a lot of people. Underneath that, you had the senators. They were the ones who ran the governmental stuff. Then you had a group called the Decurians, and you had another group called the Equestrians. Okay, now let me tell you a little bit about each of them. The senators were the ones, there were 600 of them, and they ran the empire. The Equestrians were those that owned horses. Now, matter of fact, this is the first idea of a certain mode of transportation being a status symbol. Today, if you have a Bentley, people will ooh and ah, I have a Rolls Royce. I have a Bentley. Wow. I have a Porsche. I have a whatever. I have a Tesla, $100,000 car. Wow. We look at people like that saying, man, I could never afford something like that. They must be really, really special. Well, that was the equestrians of that day were the status people that liked transportation, letting people know I've got a way to get around that you don't. The Curians were just wealthy citizens. You happen to inherit some kind of family wealth or sell some stuff to have a lot of money. And they practiced something that was called cursus honorum. Here's what that meant. The race for honor. Everyone else flew coach. The 98% and the nobodies. And greatness was out of the question. You couldn't be great <laughs> if you were in the 98%. The, the man, you couldn't do it. You could not become great if you were in that lower echelon. And those 2% really were the cream of the crop, okay? Now, underneath that were these two groups here. This group was called the citizens in the 98%, then the freedmen, then the women, and then the slaves. Now, here's who these people were. Citizens had certain legal protections and rights, a little bit, because they were born Roman. They had a little bit of some rights. Freedmen did not have rights, but they had a little bit of liberty. They could go and do a few things, but they didn't have much rights at all. Women, they were looked down upon as just reason to have children, take care of the house, and do whatever the husbands really wanted them to do. And then you had the slaves. The slaves were the lowest of the low of the class of Rome, and yet there were many, many slaves in the Roman Empire. Many. They had no rights. They had no liberties. They were at the mercy of what they called the paterfamilia, which was the head of that household, the male head of the household. And in Rome, every conceivable aspect of life was used to reinforce this race for honor, status. They used clothes as a status symbol. The way they dressed showed people that they were in the 2%, and you didn't get to dress like that if you were not. That was one big thing. If you were not a slave, you could wear a freedman's cap, which said you weren't on the bottom rung, but you still didn't have much at all. Males could wear something called a toga, toga virilius, which is a garment of manhood. When you were 14 years old, you got one of these. And then the senator, when you became a senator, perhaps, by some reason, you could put on a purple sash, letting everybody know that he was a noble. An equestrian could not wear the sash, but an equestrian could put a ring on his finger that was gold and ride on his horse and make sure everybody saw his ring when he was riding that horse. And that was called the order of the ring. So if you had that gold ring and if you saw somebody in the market that came in riding a horse, tied up the horse, flashed the gold ring everywhere, you, that's an equestrian. He's one of the two percent. And so that's what was going on with these type of situations. Now, it looks like when you read the New Testament that Jesus and his ways 
came to upset the status Apple card. The 98% were going to be important to him, not just 2%. He didn't care. Jesus didn't care about your status. And he's going to usher in a whole new way to look at that kind of a situation. And so I'm going to explain to you a little bit about how true that is. So his half-brother James, when he wrote the New Testament, would write this. Now can you understand this passage a little better, understanding the Roman history? Here's what it says. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. What? Well, of course we show favor. The 2% always get special treatment. They're first class. James said, we're not doing that anymore in this new way of living, in this new system of belief. Don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes in your, your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. What do you think he was? He was an equestrian. That's exactly right. He's flashing the jewelry. He's, he's looking look at my horse. I rode in. Y'all walked on your little feet, bare feet. I rode in. So if you got an equestrian come in and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in, who's that? The rabble. If a rabble guy runs into the middle of a dinner held and an equestrian's there, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, you say to the poor man, you stand there, you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil? Do you see what that would have been during that particular time and culture when they heard that? Here's the truth. And this is the shocking truth at that time. Here's the truth. Slaves, in Jesus' mind, had the same status as senators and equestrians. Oh, how can this be? This can't happen. They're the rabble. Do you know how filthy and how dirty and how unkempt they are? And, hey, we have money. We have wealth. We have power. We can't mingle with these people. Jesus says, yes, you can. And he made slaves having the same status as the 2%. Also, owning land was a status symbol. You'd have slaves work in your land. And because of this, this is why Paul wrote in Romans this, and I'm going to show you how shocking this verse would have been when they read it. It's not shocking to us when we read it because we don't live in that culture and time. But when you read it in the original culture, it's, you can see the shock and awe this verse would have been. For Romans 7 says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in, in my mind am a what? Say it out loud. A slave to God's law. That, my friend, would be social status suicide. You're calling yourself a slave? Yes, I am. I'm a slave to Jesus. Oh, how in the world could Paul even say that? I learned in Israel when I was there, as we saw some of the excavations and the archaeological digs and stuff like that, that in Israel, seating made a huge status statement as well. The more important people got closer to the stage in a the theater or in a person's home, the dining in another's home, that you got closer to the homeowner, that meant you were the most important of all. And everything wrapped around where you were seating and things like this. If you were poor and you happened to be there, you were of inferior rank. You got to have inferior food. You got spam when they were eating fine food. What is spam? Status-preserving alternative meat. Something else that was going on, too, in the Romans, and that was gift-giving. It's called monumentalism. Here's what that basically means. I am important. 
Do I say that we should build a monument? To me. So they would pay a bunch of money and make these massive statues all over the Roman Empire, and you see that, and then you see that guy walking down the street, and you say, hey, that's that guy on the horse. That's that. He must be somebody special. And they liked having these monuments built to themselves. Monumentalism. Put my face and name on it. Everybody wanted to climb the ladder up, whether they could or not. But then a new way of thinking was on the rise. Something so unthinkable, something so unheard of at the time, it would be the words of a rabbi, and that rabbi was Jesus. And he said this, there's another way to having a meaningful life. And it's not that of a hero. It's not that of the 2%. It's the way of a saint. So we call Jesus the humble king. And that means less of me and more of him. Usually at the first of a year, I try to ask the Lord to give me a, something to work on. In a couple of years, it was this idea of stewardship. that I started working on this and studying this and trying to make this work in my life. Sometimes doing it far better than other times I don't. But I work at it. I'm aware of it now. Pretty aware of it. And for the last year, uh, the principle that I believe God had me working on was the idea of what John the Baptist said. Remember what he said? The cousin of Jesus. He said, he must increase, but I must what? I must decrease. So I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, he wants me to be more invisible. Say, what do you mean by that? I mean, whatever I'm doing for God and for his world is not going to be my next sermon illustration. It's not going to be the best thing I stand up and proclaim to you how great I am because I did X, Y, Z. I, just do the things that I believe that God is leading me to do and don't tell anybody. Don't care, don't care about trying to publish it and look at this. and Man, I, I am in. He just said, be invisible. So I've worked over the last year just to try to do some stuff like that. And I look back on the year and saying, that was, that was a good experience for me. It was a good experience for me. But the way of a saint, according to Jesus, is to be humble. And not to be prideful, not to be arrogant. And here's what it says in Matthew 12. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. There's the status again. Not so with you. Instead, this is, a su this is social suicide, too. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your <clears throat> servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your, what does it say? Slave. You see, this, we're going to elevate slaves to high honor. We're going to elevate serving other people to high honor. And boy, that was shocking to hear. They would have said, wow. How, how in the world is this isn't going to happen? And on the last night of Jesus' life in the upper room there, he removed his outer garment, and he just took a pitcher and a basin of water, and he had to fill it up, and he washed the feet of his disciples. This was an act of hospitality, an act of hygiene and ritual cleansing, but it was a demeaning thing to do. It was only and always done by slaves, always. We never read of any other rabbi, at least I, people have told me and things I've read about this, that ever did this other than Jesus. He got down on his hands and knees, and he got low, and he washed the feet of his followers, his disciples, there in that upper room. 
That was the uniform of a slave to wash the feet of someone. Remember that seating was also a status symbol, but Jesus got up on his hands, his knees in a lowly position. The Bible says this in Philippians 2, 8. It says he humbled himself. And so here he was, low, washing their feet. And they were all knowing a slave is supposed to do this. A, a slave, our Lord, our master, the one we followed for three years is washing us. And as Jesus was getting low and doing this, they were stunned. It's, not a, it's not, not a virtue to strive for in the Greek or the Roman worlds for sure. But then, of course, you know, when he was crucified on the cross, that was primarily a crucifixion for slaves too, even called the slave's punishment. Jesus wore the garb of a slave. He took the position of a slave. He did the work of a slave, and he suffered the death of a slave. And the good thing about that for me and you is he chose to do this for us. He humbled himself and he died. A horrible crucifixion for all of our sins. He humbled himself and did things like this over and over until his final day. No one had ever done this until Jesus. And then sometime later, a new community was formed when he rose called the Church of Jesus Christ. And now it's looked upon this as everybody in that church is equal. No matter what is your rank or social status or race or creed or color, makes no difference. When you become into the body of Christ, we are all equal in the eyes of God. And today there's so much concerned about racism and injustice and all these topics that are very, very important. And I know a lot of people have really been hurt and burned by this in their lives. And I know that's a very, very tough subject, but the idea is this, to be humble about this and love people no matter who they are, what is their background, and that's the way God wants us to live. There was a leveling that took place. A culture was dying and many didn't even know it. My wife and I have been to some of the poorest places on the planet. A few years ago, I got to go with Walk to the Bible to Pakistan, and in Pakistan, I saw sewage running through the streets on dirt, on dirt roads and stuff inside the houses and stuff where I was. And I got to see the heart of these people over there in Pakistan, these godly, godly people who were giving their lives away to get the gospel out all over that country. It was an amazing thing for my heart and life to see this. My wife has been in Nicaragua and in Thailand and Cambodia and Brazil. And she's done that to help people and children and women that are coming out of sex slave trafficking to help ministries over there that are trying to minister to people who are like that. They're caught in this thing of slavery. And so her heart broke for that years ago. And so she got involved in doing this. And I was struck when she showed me some of the pictures of some of the places that she has been. <laughs> and she showed me this picture and said, this is where people live over there in trash dumps. I'm thinking, my, oh, my stars, they live there? And the answer is yes. And then she showed me the idea of her and her team as they begin to wash the feet of some of these people in that area. And just told them that they love them, that Jesus loved them, and he did this for people he loved. Therefore, we can get on our hands and knees and do the same for you because he loves you too. And share the love of Christ through translators to some of these people and children and kids that were there. And so she was able to do this. Then this is fascinating to me. Then she said she would go into the brothels and they would buy some of these prostitutes by the hourly rate. <laughs> and they would get them together and then they would 
do nice things for them and they would give them some nice gifts and they would tell them how much Jesus loves them and they just love them too. And so to see this happen and then there's some of them and she was able to share with this, the two translators with this one girl and some of these girls would come out of this and get into safe houses that are Christian run places over in those countries and try to get them out of slavery. And so when I came back, when she came back with those stories, that just broke my heart when I realized this. So as I show you some stuff like this tonight, as we end today, I, I challenge you not worrying so much about trying to be a hero. Maybe you will be a hero. Maybe you'll do something that's just so incredible that everybody will know it. And they'll remember your name. And it'll be wonderful if that's the way God leads you in your life. I'm not knocking that at all. But most of us really won't be that. But we can all strive to be a saint. We can all strive to be a good steward. How? By humbling yourself to wash the feet of people around you by serving others. Let me tell you a story of something that happened to us just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, my grandson is here. He, he has no earthly idea what I'm going to say. But he is here, and his name is Keys. He's my number one grandson, firstborn. He's sitting right here in this room. We went out for graduation of Kasdan, who is his younger brother, and we had a wonderful time. He graduated from this Christian school, part of about 24, 25 seniors. And so we went afterwards to this nice little restaurant in downtown Greenville, and we were going to have a meal. And they said, do you want to sit outside or inside? And we said, well, we wanted to sit outside, but the, it was kind of clouds coming in. You know, well, let's go inside. So inside we go. Sure enough, after we've been eating there about, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, boom, thunder, lightning, and rain begins to pour down in buckets. All the people outside come running in, sopping wet, and then the staff start running out because the umbrellas are turning over, the chairs are blowing away, all that. Keys jumps up and joins them. I said, where's he going? He's out there grabbing umbrellas, grabbing the chairs, stacking up the chairs. When he's done, he is sopping wet. At the end of the evening, they gave him a T-shirt from the company and said, you can work here anytime you would like. Welcome to our store. And I'm just shocked. I'm thinking, this was a story, a picture. He wasn't thinking, I'm going to do this so my granddad one day will tell a story about me. He wasn't doing that. He was just seeing a need. And he jumped into it, and I will never forget the servant heart that you showed that day to me. I was so proud of him. A servant heart. I grew up in a church where the pastor was the top of the pyramid. He had a, he had a personal parking space. It was marked for the, the pastor. He had a personal seat. It was say, reserved for the pastor. Come in, sit on the first seat, you know. You know, and I kind of I kind of grew up in that type of a world, but I think we ought to really flip that pyramid upside down. Say we're the pastor. We don't need to sit at the top of the pyramid. We need to flip that pyramid upside down and get low and serve the people, serve the people that are above us. That would show that we have the heart of a servant and that we have the heart of a slave of the Lord to serve anybody, regardless of what that will do for our return. And so that's what I've been working on doing. As you're elevated in your life, the higher you go, you got to go lower at the same time and stay humble. 
There's a pastor in our state, had a very large ministry, whose ministry was destroyed because he messed up and got, I think, too proud and nobody maybe to come alongside him and to kind of call him out on this and try to get him to say, you got to kind of lower some of your thoughts here and destroyed the guy's ministry and hurt the church. It was public news all over our state. Your church may not have many heroes around, but every person in every church in every situation can sure decide to become the best, have the best servant's heart that you could ever have and be a servant-hearted saint. You can choose to do this, and I hope that you will. I'm going to serve my church. I'm going to help in my church. I'm going to come alongside the people in that church, and I'm going to serve them. And it's just cool when I go into a little church that we're attending now. It's in too small of a building, this wonderful young pastor that's there. And uh, to see, I think he said it takes like 80 people to pull off the Sunday morning service every week, from the children's workers to the greeters to the parking lot people, all that. It's just fun to see those people excited about taking the least job, the job that nobody wants, nobody cares about, and they're willing to do whatever is necessary. And I see the heart of the people serving that ministry, and it says that's the kind of place I'd like to be a part of where I see that kind of thing going on. So as I kind of close this out for you tonight, then very simply what you need to do is just come to the Lord just as you are, no matter who you are or for what you've done, and I've said this, I don't know who said this, but I thought it was a great quote. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. He loves you because he's God and he loves people and he loves us. And he loves his children. You might say, but I've done, and you, you list something, or I come from, or I used to be a, it doesn't make any difference to God. You come to him just as you are. And he says, well, come in. I'm gonna give you a, a place of rest I'm going to give you a place of wholeness. I'm going to give you a place you can serve me with all of your heart, mind, strength, body, and soul. And when we do that with a humble heart, I believe God can use anybody in this room to be a blessing in your communities, wherever God has you to serve him with all of your heart. So I'm going to end, and I'm only going to play you one more song by Aaron, who's my son, worship leader. And I'll tell you what this was. This was a conference that he did. Of uh, It's called 10,000 Fathers. He has a worship school to train worship leaders around the world. He does it by Zoom and he does it live. He's in Colorado Springs at a church called New Life Church in Colorado. He just had a track one and attracted about 70 worship leaders to come and to go through this worship school that he does. And after a 10 year anniversary of raising up about, I think 500 worship leaders, here's what he said. He said, uh, I'm gonna do a concert and bring them all together for a reunion. And we went to Atlanta to see this concert. Uh, some of my, Michael and Angela, my son-in-law and daughter came and Becky and I went down there and we saw this concert and this was the opening song that was done by his worship team, the people that he's poured his life into to become better worship leaders. The whole album is about 10 songs and uh, when he moved from Atlanta to Colorado, he had to throw away about 3,000 CDs that he had. Why? Why would you throw away 3,000 CDs? Why would you not move them? Anybody know? Who listens to them anymore? Nobody goes in the store and says, can you show me where you sell the CDs? Nobody says that anymore. So everybody's listening to music on iTunes and Spotify and electronic music and stuff like that. How many of you still have a CD player in your house or in your car somewhere? Look at you old fogies. Good night. Really? 
You really still have one? Well, if you do, I have a prize for you. If you, if you like this song, I'll give you one of his CDs. I brought 75 with me. I took 300. I have 75 left. <laughs> it's have you can have it. it's like an antique you can take it home and look at get a cd you know show this to your grandkids what's that but for this opening song it really touched my heart because it has the idea of you just come to god just as you are and then when you do then he can see your hands open to be a steward and he can put you exactly to work where he wants you to be for his kingdom and for his glory so this is called Come Just As You Are, and we'll do that, and then I'll pray for you guys and bless you at the end, okay? You might can, I can read that. It says, come as you are, broken or whole, bruised or frayed, rich or poor. Come as you are, didn't get to read it all. Mother or father, orphan or student, child or criminal, faithful or cynical, Come as you are, black or white, left or right, hippie or polished, Christian or an atheist. Come as you are, hopeless or hopeful, lost or home. Come as you are.
Aren't you grateful the Lord accepted you just as you are? You didn't have to prove yourself. Say, I'm important. Take me. You just had to present yourself as you are. And he'll take you a lump of clay that he calls us clay pots. <laughs> and he'll use you for his glory. So extend your hands like this to me. Close your eyes. I'm going to pray a blessing over every hand that's open. Father, for every hand open, I pray that we would come to you daily just as we are. With all of our faults difficulties, cares, and worries, and we trust you to meet our needs in our lives. Pray that every hand here would be filled with the ability to leave this place at the end of this week and go be a servant, go be a slave, care for the least of these. Don't care who gets the glory or the credit, but just to serve you with our heart, mind, strength, all of our lives. Thank you for dying for us. We want to be your slaves and servants till the day that we die. In the name of Jesus.